episode of our brand new Pearson podcast, Speaking Your Language. I'm Fiona Price and in this episode I'm talking to Esmeralda Salgado, a very well-known member of the MFL Twitterati. We talk about her love of languages, tried and tested teaching approaches and her best thing that learning a language has given her. So put those books and laptops to one side, sit back, relax and enjoy. Vamos! I am delighted to welcome a fantastic, inspiring member of our MFL teaching community to speak in your language, Esmeralda Salgado. She has taught languages for 20 years in a variety of school settings, both independent and state schools, and at all key stages, in roles including advanced skills teacher, head of MFL and digital lead. She won a Silver Pearson National Teaching Award as Secondary School Teacher of the Year in 2022 and has run many collaborative projects between schools, including Erasmus and eTwinning. Esmeralda also has vast experience as an MFL consultant, writer, blogger and CPD provider. Her blog is called MFL Craft at Botones Salgado and she that is also her Twitter handle because she is a member of MFL Twitterati. Her blog is a treasure trove of resources and definitely worth having a look if you haven't already. Hola, Esmeralda. Welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to see you. Hola. <laughs> lovely to be here. Um, so first question, Esmeralda, who or what inspired your love of languages? Well, actually, it was my classic Greek and Latin teacher in, in the school. So actually, I started learning languages from the classic side of it. And I was fascinated by Greek culture and Latin and how the language worked with Latin as well, because I thought it was like a big, you know, sudoku and putting mm. all the words together. And I loved it. And then I started learning uh, English because it was obviously part of my education in, in Spain, part of my the curriculum. And, and because I love talking and I love socializing, uh, just how I got into it and learned a little bit of French and everything started from that. But I wouldn't be here without my classic Greek and uh, input, especially classic Greek and also the Latin. It's interesting because some of the best students I ever taught actually in my first um, teaching job, they had done Latin and then they'd done French and then they learned Spanish. And of course, mm -hmm. it was so easy for them, really. They had so many roots to draw on. And then another question linked to loving languages, traveling. What is your best memory of visiting or living in another country? Well, the best memory must be when I met my husband in England, you know, <laughs> when I and I was at the time I was 19 and I was, uh, yes, I was doing an Erasmus. I was here in, in, in Cambridge University with an Erasmus um, with my university and I just met him. And, you know, one day just basically clapping and that and yes, who would have said in from that meeting everything that carried on later on? It just would have been someone would have told me that night. I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> wow. It's the best way to learn a language, falling in love with somebody and talking to them in the language. And and what would you say? So apart from your husband, obviously, which has got to be the number one thing, um, what are the other best things that learning languages has given you? Uh, obviously, friends, a lot of friends, a family, uh, a second home, 
I always felt like uh, I'm Spanish, but I also feel very British, and I felt yeah, part of a, a child of the world at the same time. Uh, the opportunity, of course, of traveling as well, the opportunity of getting to know other cultures and to see how the world can be seen in different ways, which I think is very, uh, is very important uh, to be open-minded. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has definitely shaped my way of thinking and my way of being tolerant and accepting or what all of diversity in general is definitely yeah mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more so I, I started teaching around the same time as you we're not mentioning our ages of course but uh, you have described your pedagogic journey and your teaching style on your blog and as incorporating chunking thinking skills extracurricular and cultural aspects and you mentioned the limitations of a purely communicative approach, which was quite fashionable, I think, at, at the point that we were maybe training. Could you just explain a little bit more about your kind of teaching style and what shaped that? Yes, well, basically, uh, yes, I was trained in the communicative approach. I'm very like uh, about 20, <laughs> more than 20 years ago, 23, 24 years ago. And I just remember being in the classroom and something was missing a little bit like uh, and it was very it was a very anti-grammar approach and I very quickly realized this is not working properly and, and I remember as a PhD student I was observed by Ernesto Macaro who is like a big you know scholar writing I remember he came to my class to, to my lesson and he said mm, that was an excellent lesson but that wasn't communicative and it was and because I had included like a lot of thinking skills around grammar and I thought, yes, it's, and, and that always stuck with me because it was a comment, this is not communicative. So it was like, oh, no, I felt, but it was an excellent lesson. And that moved me in and that really inspired me to look at different ways of doing things. So what I started doing is just, OK, how we can make the student be creative with the language. So not just basically mm, being able to uh, repeat a set of questions and a set of statements, but being able to manipulate the language themselves. But the other, on the other hand, I didn't want to do proper explicit grammar as well, because I tried for a while. I mean, I knew deep down that it wasn't really working. And then I started working on my methods and my, my way. And then I realized by doing a lot of research like, over the years and reading all that, I, what I, I was doing was a lexicogram approach. What basically what you, I was doing is the kids were learning the sentences and the things I wanted them to, you know, to learn. And then they were learning some, uh, like the first person in Spanish in the past tense, like tomé el sol pajón or me levanto. And then we would do the grammar afterwards through an inductive process. And that's basically where I started shaping my, uh, my mm. thinking. And all that with a lot of culture. And I think the culture is really important because you cannot teach a language, I think, without getting the culture into it. So and that's basically what shaped which shaped all of it and how and how I got into it. And I studied as well about this is something that really stuck with me. Uh, the, the, the fact that when we are learning a language, what we want is to create experiences. And I always say to people, it's a little bit like playing football. And when you ask a big footballer, do you remember the times when you're doing the coaching or do you remember the time when you had to play the, you know, the world, you know, your final in, in the world tournament? They will remember the match. They won't remember the training. And that's something as well that I always try to create in the classroom is like the lessons is like the training. But, about, but what about giving them the experiences for the students that they can put 
those skills into practice. And that comes through the culture. And that comes through extracurricular activities that they can do. So the kids can remember the football match. If that makes sense. So oh, that's a little bit what sums up a little bit. So it's a little, it, there is a lot of, uh, there is grammar, of course, there is learning, there's teaching and learning, uh, but there is also a purpose and trying to take the language outside the classroom. And that's been our big motto in my uh, in previous school, that our big goal, uh, mm -hmm. taking languages outside the classroom. So I don't know if I explained it. No, I love that analogy of um, the idea of the match, because I, I mean, I've always run like hundreds of exchange trips and, you know, they're stressful, they're difficult, but you can't beat that joy of seeing those students put into practice and it all makes sense and the penny drops in this beautiful place where you're saying this is why we've been doing this this is what it's all about you know and just interested about the grammar so you know this idea of a rigorous approach to grammar but it's embedded and it's it has other things as part of it you know there's different there's lots of different ways you can be a good teacher it doesn't have to just be one way um but what do you have any other top tips for improving students knowledge of grammar or how to make grammar a, a more fun process uh, i would say to make it inductive so first it's about being able doing grammar afterwards first it should be about communication communication should be the goal and then after the kids can say, for example, Jésus-Jésus-Jésus-Jésus or Fui de vacaciones, and they can say all the kinds of things. They start then start getting the children to you, you know to think. Okay, what pattern can you see? If when you say Tomel Sol, when you say you know Nade, what is the pattern? Okay, then give them some text, and they can work it out the rules by themselves. And then after that, they will need explicit explanation to make sure that nobody got the wrong end of the stick. And then what I do afterwards is just a lot of games and a lot of meaningful uh, uh, activities that they can put into practice and practice and practice. At the end of the day, practice makes perfect. And there is, a, you know, there is a lot of research about how it goes everything from the short term memory to the long term memory. You need to apply that to every single aspect of what you teach, including grammar. So it's about making it uh, fun and involving the students in the process. So the students will like the inductive approach. So they start seeing the patterns and they feel very clever. And at the same, and that's why I'm talking about thinking the skills in my blog, because you're making them think about the language. And at the same time, you know, and that, um, what are the roots? What is this? And then you can talk about verb and you talk about linguistics in that way, you know, with them and they feel nice and, they, they, you know, and actually are learning as well about their own language. So that is, so grammar can be fun and it's fascinating. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's the rules of the game. And, and you're giving the students ownership, aren't you? What you're explaining, where you are there and you are there to facilitate and explain the rules, but you're involving them in the process. You're making sure they're taking ownership over it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And another blog post that you've written that I really enjoyed was about motivating students, which is kind of a key message of what you're talking about, really. How do we motivate these students? We know students want to learn MFL and they they do enjoy it but motivation can be an issue especially when they've got challenging assessments they've got grammar to learn and your blog post focused on the Rosenshine's principle of you know not too easy not too difficult just right can you just explain a bit more about that for teachers who might not have read this post mm -hmm. well uh yes I mean that is it's one of my most read posts actually my blog and what is it's a little bit of a reflection on what makes students you know be motivated and for me it is when you ask a student is to be able to speak so the big motivating factor for students is can i speak by the end of my learning journey 
And I found it very demotivating when they've been learning French, Spanish, German, you know, for whatever X years, and they feel at the end of the journey, I cannot say anything, and that's what was the point. And I think, you know, so what I was trying to try to break always in my lessons is like, actually, no, you're going to be able to speak at the end of the process. And in order to be able to, you know, to speak, what you need is a belief of I can do. And it's a belief or actually I'm making progress and actually, yes, I can. How do you get the students, you know, to make progress? How do you get the students, you know, to, to, to speak? For me, Rosenstein is perfect. And Rosenstein's principles, which starts with modeling, which starts with a scaffolding uh, practice, with checking for understanding, for retrieval practice. I think it gives all the ingredients and it gives all the steps that are needed uh, into uh, MFL. And I think it's a huge motivator factor. So when you apply those, uh, it's, it's a very forensic way of looking at languages and your lessons. When you plan your lessons uh, with uh, with a very specific pedagogy, and you believe in what you know what, uh, what you're doing, the kids then start making progress. The kids start thinking, oh, actually, I can do this. And by the end of it, they start believing it. And then your your target is always going to be can they speak? Are they going to be able to communicate? And that is very, very, very powerful. And all that is, um, um, you know, um, pinpointed, all that by a great teaching. And I really think Rosenstein just I mean, applies for any subject, but I think for MFL in particular, is very, very powerful. And then on top of that, it has to be as well, uh, you need to, as I said before, to take into account the cultural aspect of it. And then you've got a very good winner. So I always call it the Goldilocks effect. And I think it's about, because it's about getting, uh, having high expectations as well. Mm. Oh, too, too, too high. Obviously, the kids basically you lose them, okay. But uh, having believe in the kids, believe that you can do this. You are gonna be able to speak. Everybody will be able to do it. And this is the process. This is how we are gonna do it. And we're gonna get the right balance. So it's about the, the Goldilocks effect. Not too high. Not too easy. Not too difficult. Just right. And anchoring in challenge. I, I love that analogy of the Goldilocks. Yeah, and the challenge is really important, isn't it? Because, you know, it, it's difficult in MFL because we need to, ha like you say, scaffold and hold their hands. And it is hard. But equally, if we don't set ambitious targets for our students, you know, it's not right because, you know, we we're, we're, it's all about trying to get them to aim high. But also, I always think it with languages it's about showing them it doesn't have to be perfect that it's you know when I lived abroad my goodness I always tell them funny stories about when I used to make mistakes I remember being in a phone box in Spain and being terrified because I had to call about a, a flat you know that I wanted to rent you know and I was I'd never done a phone call in Spanish and when they said you know dígame I was completely taken aback I didn't know it would work like that and I always tell them stories like that because I think as a teacher you model for them that it's about taking risks but it, it doesn't matter, you know, it's about having fun with it and it's stressful sometimes, but, you know, I'd much rather have a student in a speaking exam who took risks and got a few endings wrong than the ones who sit there and they want it all perfect. So I think what you said about challenge is, is really important. Yeah, because I think sometimes what happens is that we tend to label this or box the students in different categories. Like, for example, you're a top student, you're a middle student, and we go low. And then obviously we are, you got top 
top uh, um, ability students. I think there's no problem. We all got, oh yes, high expectations, but we should have high expectations for all the students, regardless of ability. And at the moment that you believe in them, and I said, when I start my lessons in year seven, for example, I teach them some of the little sentences from GCC. And I said to them, because you're clever, because you can cope with it, because I know you can, and you, you know, uh, I believe in you. So why shouldn't you be able something that a year 10 or year 11 does? So let's learn, for example, uh, ojalá pudiera. This is really good sentence. I wish I could. Okay, they don't need to know those imperfect subjunctive, all that kind of thing. But that makes them feel, oh my God, you believe in me? I'm clever. I'm using Jesus. You know, so a very good sentence. So that's what I mean about anchoring challenge and making them believe, and then having a very clear uh, strategy and pedagogic reason. So everything that happens in the classroom shouldn't happen by chance, should mm. happen because it's been planned to happen. And all should be leading to the, speech, to, to, to the students to be able to speak at the end of the journey. And they love, they love feeling that you're, you're saying, oh, I really believe in you. You are so intelligent. You're a really intelligent class. I know you can handle this. We're doing this. That's very empowering. Sometimes, I mean, in my previous school, we, our lesson, our classes were set and that's the way the school was. But I was very clear when I had sometimes my, uh, a set three, that you're doing exactly the same thing as set one. Mm. And you are, oh, you are going to sit down the high paper in your GCC, you know. And I, so I don't start already with low expectations. I don't know if that makes sense, because sometimes we start already thinking, oh, that is these children, oh, they're having, you know, no, 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 no. Everybody has scored high expectations. And if you give them this scaffolding and you believe in them, they start believing in themselves as well. And they uh, surprise you. I always say, you know, when you're trying to decide whether they should do foundation, whether they should do higher, and you're always thinking like, on oh, a really good day with the wind behind you, what do I really think you could do? You know, you're you're believing that, that, that you know, you have to be realistic, obviously. And we'll have to, to do foundation. Yes. But you you leave that. I would always leave that, for example, towards the end of the journey. I, I would never imagine, oh, yes, look at your, you know, midges great and looking at your sats and all these things. You should you know, no, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. Everybody, you know, you've got high expectations and everybody can get up to a seven or a six. Why not? And then you scoop up the ones who need the support and you make good decisions. And, and you know, for some children, obviously, you know, I remember being just as excited about kids who got a four as kids who got eights and nines, because for them, I knew that was an absolutely massive achievement. Father didn't drop it. Because I would normally what happens and with languages, sadly, that that moment that is a little bit of an issue, or there is a problem, some of the children, they tend to drop MFL as one of the choices for GCC. And it's like, no, 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 you know, try to, you know, even you get the four, your four could be as, it's as important as a nine for another student or an eight. I always tell them that, that, you know, a four can open doors. I mean, obviously, if you're going for apprenticeships and you've got a language at a grade four, you know, you've got something that other people haven't got. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what about digital tools? Because I know you were a huge um, fan of, of digital tools in a classroom and I, I, we don't really have time, I'm sure, to get into the full breadth of everything that you do. But what would be maybe one or two of your favourite digital tools for teaching languages? Uh, definitely. I, I mean, I use quite a lot, but if I had to pick one of every, all of them, uh, it would be Wheel of Names. And it's a very simple tool, but I love it because it's so versatile. And, and that's something I haven't talked about in technology, but that's another ingredient for the motivation. 
And that's another ingredient about the, the thinking about taking languages outside the classroom. Digital tools allows, uh, allow you to take your lessons outside the classroom so they can carry on doing the learning and they can learn in a past, you know, uh, the, uh, in a past journey. Or they can be learning in the park or they can be learning in the library. And, and yes, and one of my favorite ones has to be Wheel of Names because it for me represents retrieval practice. It is just the essence of what retrieval practice is and all the things you can do with it because you can do translation, you can do grammar with it, you can do oral, you can do listening. All anything you can do, you can do it with a, with a wheel of names, and then you can do it as a whole class. You can do it with mini whiteboards. You can do it individually. You share the link with the students. The students can play piedra, papel, tijera with the wheel of names. Uh, for me, super versatile, and they can do it for homework later on, and they can have to write sentences according to the wheel of names. So for me, something that takes five minutes to create, it can get to hours, you know, at least three, four lessons and you can recycle it over and over again. So for me, it's a no-brainer for, 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 uh, for a teacher. It's a quick win with lots of fun for students and their learning. Brilliant. That's what we want. Um, and I know at the moment you're, you're kind of having, having a break from teaching, but definitely planning to return to it and busy doing lots of training and lots of other things. So, so what plans do you have and goals for, for the year coming up? Uh, well, at the moment, obviously, uh, we are trying, we are between moving houses and, and cities. So we are at the moment in Italy, in Cambridge, and we are moving to Oxford. And uh, my plans are, yes, this year to do, uh, because of the moving and the uncertainty where we're going to be, uh, I'm doing a little bit, or I'm, I've gone solely between a little bit of CPD, training, collaboration. And yeah, it's uh, also staying sometimes as well with my little girl as well. <laughs> I got three children, but one of them, my little girl is, is five years old and taking her out you know to school and um, but yes my plan is to go back to teaching as soon as and soon as basically I uh, settle in into Oxford and to hopefully a school in Oxford will be able to you know will employ me and I can continue my journey as a, a MFL teacher in, uh, in in a new city. Amazing I think any students would be lucky to have you to be fair I was just gonna thinking about that actually about being in a classroom. There might be some ECT teachers out there listening um, who've just started their journey as a teacher. Can you remember the best piece of advice that you were given when you were a newly qualified teacher? Uh, yes, and it was about planning, planning the lessons, and I remember the pace. And those two things, planning and pace, and that always stayed, has always stayed with me. Whatever role I've done, and sometimes obviously you get into, you make, you know, you become, you progress in your, in your career, you become a head of department, you may do other roles with pastoral. I always believe I'm a teacher. So what I'm doing, my job, what I should be doing is teaching. And that means planning the lessons and that you cannot cut corners on that. And everything that is done in a lesson has to be happening for a reason that you planned and for me that always stayed with me and I apply to my life right now uh, and I had a lot of different responsibilities but I've never never uh, compromised my planning time and my teaching that comes always first and everything comes afterwards. Mm. That's, and I think I, I remember a similar thing it was slightly different focus but it was when I, I trained up in Scotland actually and um at the time, a big part of the the training to teach languages was called stirring and settling. I think it was a, there was a whole a book about it, and it was basically that. It was this idea that some language activities stir them up, and some activities settle them down. And 
if you don't plan it and you don't think about that, the whole lesson will descend into chaos because you'll wind them up so much. And I think when I work with, you know, trainee teachers or, you know, it's one of the joys of the job. I've always loved working with new teachers and PGC students. You get so many ideas, don't you? And they keep you vibrant, keep you fresh. But I always talk to them about that. And I find when you're observing, you know, new teachers to the profession, it's exactly what you're saying. It's sometimes what goes wrong that they haven't necessarily planned in breaks for themselves either you know it's like there's too many exhausting because MFL can be a very exhausting subject it's all about you and they haven't planned those quiet moments when am I going to be sitting down having a breather you know when are they when are they going to do something a bit quieter because I've had them running around doing a game do you do, have you had similar experiences when you've been mentoring other teachers yeah Absolutely. And I, it's one of the, um, I've been a mentor before, and it's one of the most enjoyable aspects of, uh, of, 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 you know, of the things I've done. Because as you said, you learn so much because we're always learning. And that I, I think that is, uh, you can never think, oh, I am perfect. I've got, I've reached my level. Then no, 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 no. I'm always learning, learning and talking to, you know, to, you know, to um, teachers uh, and new entities just like PGC students, it's just so refreshing. Um, and for me, I always get in the message to saying, plan your lessons. Why are you doing this? If you are, you know, doing an activity, what is the purpose? How this activity is going to link with the next activity? And most important, how one lesson is going to link with another lesson? So you got a sequence of lessons. Mm -hmm. You're learning in your language um, uh, um, language learning journey. Okay, towards the end, so you basically achieve the students to be able to you know to speak and they can uh, they can actually retrieve the information it can be uh, fluent with it even if they make mistakes as you were saying before and I think that's very important that's why we said about planning planning the lesson but also the sequence of lessons how one lesson will lead to another lessons cannot be planned in isolation no I think prog progression is is the key and sometimes you can only really get that right when you've been teaching for a few years can't you it you just you make mistakes and well we all do even when we've been doing it for years that's what we're saying in the learning all the time. I get things wrong. And also what is very important as well, how you adapt to your students in the lesson, but also from year after year, because sometimes, you're, oh, yes, it gets it. Yes, of course it gets easier. But it gets easier because you become very good at predicting what is going to happen, not because you're using the same resources over and over mm. and over again. Because over mm. 20 years, even if I have, uh, uh, you know, the same worksheet, I have to always, I, have to, I always have to change it and tweak it. Because sometimes, um, you know, it may, some an activity may not work as well with one group as it worked with another group. And I'm the same teacher and it's the same methodology and everything because of the personalities, because of the, um, yes, the atmosphere that is in the classroom. And you need to be able to read that and to mm. adapt to that and adapting to the students or what they like or you know what their interests are uh, and, and the dynamics in the group. Totally right Ad being ad very adaptable is definitely a key requirement so sadly we're coming to the end of our interview I just had one final question for you and it's it's interesting as language teachers because we've obviously mastered at least one other language may maybe more but if you could learn any other language which one would it be and why? Uh, I think if I had to pick another, and I started doing this, it would be uh, Chinese. And uh, I find it absolutely fascinating. And why? Because I, I went to China a few years ago on a trip, just for two weeks, and I, I was 
completely fascinated and mesmerized by the culture. And it was just, it was a, a cultural shock from, uh, you know, from a Western uh, life, uh, you know, when, in, when, I, when I went there. And I realized as well, you know, that, you know, when I arrived there, that English didn't get you any, you know, very far at all. With English, you couldn't go <laughs> anywhere. And, and I found it the tones, the, the way it sounds, um, together with the culture, absolutely fascinated. So it, I started learning it because I really wanted, you know, uh, wanted, uh, wanted, but then I had to stop, something happened and so I had to stop. And I, for, unfortunately, I'm forgetting most of it now. And I'm not very good at it um, at the moment because I, I really forgot it. But that's one of the things that maybe in this year that I'll be, I'll be freer, I can retake it and uh, go back to Chinese. That would be an amazing challenge, wouldn't it? Yes. What would it be your language, Fiona? Which one would you? Oh like? well, similar. Similarly, it would be Japanese. I mean, I don't think I've got any chance of learning it now. But I remember um, supervising a, a speaking exam once, and the exam was in Japanese, and I was just completely and utterly just mesmerised by how beautiful it was. And I loved the Japanese culture and the food and the people. I've worked with like Japanese groups when I was doing TEFL and. Yeah, that's on my bucket list, a trip to Japan. I'm not saying I'm going to learn the language. I think that might be a bridge too far, but uh, I would love to go to Japan and I'd love to learn a bit. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Muchísimas gracias. I know that the teaching community are going to love listening to what you have to say and all your wisdom about learning languages. And it's been a pleasure talking to you and good luck with all your plans for the next year. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a fantastic pleasure. I really, I'm very honoured. That's what I feel. Oh, very... it's be... Likewise. Adios. Adios. I hope you enjoyed listening to Esmeralda as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Speaking Your Language soon. Adios. Adios.